Good morning, good morning. You are at the Keat and Light Podcast special invisible audio edition. Uh, showed up this morning, didn't have my charging cable for the camera, but we are going to soldier on nonetheless. I am sitting across from lead pastor, Dr. Bob McGregor. Good morning. And we are going to be talking this morning about really a sermon that sort of bridged the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where you were talking about the law and its relationship mm-hmm. to the New Covenant. So so the, the New Testament, people say, why do we need a new one? What was wrong with the old one? What kind of God is it that uh, makes something obsolete? Why didn't he just do it right the first time? And these are all good questions. And what is the, you know, what's the benefit of the New Testament? Why does Hebrews say it's better? What was wrong with the old one? So we just want to understand that before we look into the books of the New Testament, because what is the the whole context of the um, the New Testament letters? So we need to be clear about what the New Covenant is. So, what is it? Well, a covenant is a an, it's an arrangement. You know what the marriage covenant is. It's an agreement, it's an arrangement. Mm-hmm. You do this, I do this, we'll have children, it'll be good. Um, if you don't do this, it'll be bad. Um, it, can, it can be destroyed. So we understand, it's not a word that we use a lot in our culture, but I think the marriage covenant is something most people can identify with. But a covenant um, is a very prominent theme in, in the Bible because God enters into a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship. Uh, with his bride. And so that's the metaphor that is used to describe God's relationship with his own people. It's not everybody. You're not married to everybody, but you're married to one person. You put your love on one person. And uh, in the Old Testament, we understand that God put his love on a particular nation, said, you're going to be my bride. Here's the deal. I'm holy. You be holy. You do this. Now, I don't want to be nitpicky. And you know what, as I'm listening, I'm thinking I'm actually wrong. But the bride imagery isn't really used until much later in the Old Testament, if at all. I mean, I guess there is the bride imagery is there. Yeah, Hosea. Um, but these covenants start even earlier than that with God's uh, relationship with Adam and Eve, yeah. God's relationship with Noah at the mm-hmm. flood uh, in Genesis 9, God's relationship with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then this, so it's this ever-evolving acorn to oak tree mm-hmm. revelation mm-hmm. of God's full disclosure of what it means for him to have a relationship with a people. So the only reason I bring up that aspect about the bride is it sort of highlights the fact that even though there's been this covenant that has been evolving through all of human history, it's it's uh, revealed more and more different aspects of it are revealed uh, at different and various times and and something like the idea of God's people being his bride is sort of a later revelation and then there's even more revelation when mm-hmm. Jesus comes yeah it evolves it's a concept that evolves you're right it's right in the garden of eden except in the garden of eden unlike the other uh, covenantal arrangements uh, there's no blood you know, uh, Hebrews mentions that every covenant is sealed with blood. Why? Well, we'll maybe talk about that later. But that wasn't the case in Eden. 
Which means, I think, that there, the is, there was no sin. There was no need for the shedding of blood. Uh, but there was a covenant. And so the covenant kind of developed into an arrangement that was kind of uh, secured, somehow perpetuated, with the shedding of blood. Hmm. So, but anyway, a covenant is a, just a, a marriage, let's use the term marriage, it's a relationship, it's intense, it's got blessing, it's got warnings, it's got curses, um, and the history of the Old Testament people, the Old Covenant people, is that they blew it. They kept wandering away from God, and so the prophets would come and say, come back to the covenant, don't, don't force God's hand to judge you, which he never really does. He never really pulls the plug on his people. Well, he does judge them, uh, but he, he does not judge them finally. Exactly. He doesn't he doesn't he completely reject them. them. The only time that we've seen God sort of completely wipe the slate clean is in the flood. And even there, you could say, you know, God is still being faithful to humanity as the entire human race there and, and bringing Noah as, as as even a new Adam, new beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's blessings, there's curses, there's obedience, and there's two parties, and they often both have requirements, mm-hmm. uh, although not always. Um, I kind of, we could go in a lot of different directions. I want to be sensitive to how you want to take this, but uh, shall we go through the questions, sure, or do you want to do you want to look at that Hebrews passage a little bit? Well, we're going to refer to some scriptures. Um, let's uh, all right. Let's read the Hebrews passage. Have my Bible here. Um, I mean, there's a lot in here. I mean, it's it's really a. We don't have the time to. No, it, this is a actually, huge. Yeah, you know, it's a big concept. Seminary course split over two years, <laughs> kind of concept. Yeah, but I just want to establish fact that there is a covenant, there's mm-hmm. a new covenant, and one's better than the other. And so in the, in the book of Hebrews, it's basically um, an argument to people who, for whatever reason, and there are some, uh, that they're drifting back into the old covenant, which was a covenant built on the so-called ability of people to successfully obey the terms of the covenant, and they mm-hmm. never did. So the author of Hebrews is saying, why would you go back to something so futile and hopeless? So he says, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. And then he goes on to describe the new covenant in terms of uh, God's sovereignty it's all about what God will do, what God will do. And it's almost as if there's nothing left for us to do in this new covenant. It's all what God does. So that's a unique thing, that, that we're looking in an agreement with God that God is performing unilaterally. Mm-hmm. And that gives us a lot of confidence as believers that instead of fussing about and wondering, like, have I fully fulfilled this, that we're really looking to Jesus as the fulfillment. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but... Uh, the, question, the first question we have, is the New Testament a collection, bo- collection of books in the Bible or an arrangement with God? So you just described covenant, which is sort of shorthand for arrangement with God. And then we look at the New Testament, testament being a different word for covenant. 
we look at the Bible is the New Testament, these collection of books written after Malachi, 400 years mm -hmm. going from Matthew to Revelation. Is that a new collection of books or a new arrangement with God? Well, we, we call the New Testament. And we pick it up and we flip through it and we're actually referring to books. Mm -hmm. right? They're called the New Testament books because to some measure they define the New Covenant, the New Testament. And they're all descriptions of God's people living, especially the epistles. Uh, they're all descriptions of God's people living under this new covenant. Yeah. And the Gospels are really Jesus kind of bringing a mind shift to people and saying, okay, we're about to change courses here, and this is what it's going to look like. Which is why we started off in the sermon with John 1.17, where it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough, people who are in the New Covenant are susceptible uh, to impulses that would draw them back into a covenant of works. So Paul, for instance, in Galatians, he deals with this. Because there are people who are saying, it's, it's too easy in the New Covenant. You can't just say God does everything. We've got to do something. We've got to bring something to this. So Paul says, you walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the key in the New Covenant is the Holy Spirit that is mm -hmm. in us uh, that changes everything. That's why in um, Jeremiah, which is quoted in Hebrews 8, God says, I will establish my New Covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, um, for this is the covenant I will make. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Full stop. Yeah. The central, the centrality of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant cannot be overemphasized. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I know my Bible. I've read my Old Testament. They seem to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. They do, but the way the Holy Spirit functions is very different. He's poured out on individuals, specific circumstances. We think of like Bezalel in the Old Testament who has given the Holy Spirit to, to fashion. Um, we're going to forgive Pastor Bob. He's struggling with a little bit of congestion this morning. But we think of Bezalel who's given uh, the Holy Spirit in order to carve pieces of art and tapestries for the tabernacle. Yeah. Uh, we think of uh, Saul who had the Holy Spirit taken from him something that we don't see happening in the New Testament. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is poured out on individuals in small ways, but then the uh, New Testament finds us where we're, we're told where Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit without measure. Mm -hmm. So in Acts 2, when Peter preaches the New Covenant, if you will, uh, he says, repent, and the promise is for you. The Spirit, the, you, you, you receive the Spirit. It's a promise, and the promise is the new covenant, where God says, this is what I'm going to do. Jeremiah says, this is what I'm going to do. Peter says, it's here. The new covenant is here. The, the age of the Spirit has dawned. So um, that's, a, that's a huge factor, which is, which is why the new covenant is better, one of the reasons why it's better. So if we look at question two, it says, in what way is the New Testament most different from the Old Testament? Did you just answer that? Um, I don't know, but I do want to say something here. Okay. Okay, I do want to say something. Yeah, great. This is key. I'm not sure this point 
came across as loudly as I wanted. Some people got it. They came to me afterwards with lights all over. Um, I want to say that the New Covenant, um, you could say that the New Covenant is not with God and man, at least God and sinful man. The Old Covenant was. It was with the sons of Adam, who were, who were a disaster. They couldn't do it. Um, so so no, one, no one comes along in the Old Testament who fulfills the covenant. Okay, heresy alert. Whoa, go, where are you going with this? They, I'm joking, of course, but it's but the, you know these are these are. I think you're about to say something that's a a bit of a a, a mind blower. <laughs> so yeah. So Jesus comes along, mm-hmm. and he is the second Adam in Scripture. Um, he's a do-over. He's a mulligan. Uh, how's it going to work? Satan tried to get him to sin. Uh, Matthew three seventeen. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hebrews four fifteen. He was tempted yet without sin. So you got now Jesus who said, "I have come to fulfill the covenant, to fulfill the law. I've done it. I'm in. Sorry for your luck." Okay. That doesn't do us any good. But what God wanted to accomplish from eternity past was to be in a covenant relationship with a man. So what you're saying is the new covenant is a covenant between God, the Father, and His son. God, the Son. Mm-hmm. But then we are included in this new covenant well, mm-hmm. by being joined with the Son. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is a powerful concept. Um, and that's why... Paul over and over again emphasizes that we are in Christ. It doesn't simply mean we're into Christ. Mm -hmm. But because of the Spirit of God, we have been baptized into Christ. And Romans 6 describes this beautifully. We are so identified with Christ. And I don't want to sound heretical, Mm -hmm. but we're on the cross and Paul says we died. Now I don't go around saying I I died for my own sins because if I died for my own sins it wouldn't work okay but in Christ I can honestly say that I died and I was buried well it's it's a regrafting of the family tree as humanity we are all in Adam he is our covenantal head so to speak where God has seen us as related to Adam and with Christ, it's as if Adam is now, when we put our faith in Christ, it's as if Adam is actually taken out of our family tree and Jesus is put in that place so that we're seen in the line of Jesus who fully obeyed God rather than Adam who disobeyed God. When you look at Romans 5, that or, would be... Or another way is that we just died. Over. And yet in Jesus, because we've been so identified with his work, we're new creations. And we emerge from the ashes, not any longer sons of Adam, as a federal head, but we emerge as sons of God. So the key verse that describes this is Colossians 3.3, 3, which says, "You, for you died. And Paul's trying to explain our, our standing in the new covenant. He says, you died and your life, how can you have a life if you died? Okay, obviously he's talking about our new life. Mm-hmm. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your light, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So I believe that um, Jesus was the only man to fulfill the terms of the covenant, and somehow God has found a way to bring us out of Adam and our sin into Christ so that the benefit of covenant fulfillment, obeying the covenant, mm-hmm. is now ours. So we've been accepted in the beloved. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ. Everything I have is by virtue of his obedience, not mine. Amen. So I can't earn my way into the covenant and I can't earn my way out of the covenant indeed that is the base that's the rock that we stand on <laughs> how was God's covenant this is question number four uh, how was God's covenant with Adam different and similar to the other iterations of his covenant well the iterations of the covenant as you just said it evolves you've got the Adam and the Noah the concept of a covenant is is more um, clearly defined until we get to Moses and you've got a full-blown ancient Near Eastern covenant. How is the covenant with Adam different and similar to other iterations of his covenant? Okay, I guess we've already answered that. The covenant with Adam, initially when Adam was sinless, did not include blood. Blood entered into the covenant relationship when sin did. And so there was this constant presence of blood because there was the presence of sin. And we come to appreciate that the purpose for the blood was to anticipate the day when um, our, our sins would be atoned for, punished by the blood of Christ. So is this referring to remission of sin or covenant specifically? The shedding of blood? I didn't say it wasn't a covenant. Okay. It was a covenant. Okay, so the, there no was... blood. Okay. Covenants, since sin entered the world, always have something to do with blood. They're mm-hmm. sealed with blood. Why wasn't Adam's sealed with blood? What kind of covenant is that without blood? Well, you know, why? There was no sin involved. Blood only came into the covenant development when when we sinned. Okay. So that's a good clarification, just for people who are trying to think these things out, because they're tricky issues. Yeah. So in what way was Adam's covenant different and similar to other iterations of the covenant? Well, it's similar in that God said, you know, I love you, you do this, till the garden, blah, blah, blah. Um, you'll be blessed if you disobey me sin the only thing that you can do to sin is well, I guess eating the tree moving on to question number five what is our ab- obligation in the new covenant well the old the obligation in the old covenant was be perfect 100 percent right our obligation in the new covenant <clears throat> is not a work it's not works. Mm-hmm. We know that. But it's to repent from our dead works. It's to have faith in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's, if you want to talk about something that we do to enter into the covenant, it's repent from our sin, own up to that, and uh, acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross for my sin. And that's, that's really all we do. Um, however, 
there, there is a law of Christ. There is an expectation of people hmm. who are in the New Covenant. The Sermon on the Mount outlines how God expects his people in the New Covenant to live. And so we There's are, no perseverance in the New Covenant apart from obedience. Right. We're, we're, not, we're, we're law-abiding people, um, but we do so because the Holy Spirit has created an appetite, an orientation. Whereas once we hated the law, it was a burden... Now we look at it differently. We love it. Um, it. It doesn't crush us, but it guides us. And so people in the New Covenant really should walk on a higher level than people in the Old Testament did. We're, we love God. We're not saying the Old Testament people didn't love God. If they did love God, it's because the Spirit of God enabled them to do that. Mm-hmm. But in the New Covenant, everybody has the Spirit of God. Everybody is pursuing the higher ground amen so why does jesus command us to remember his covenant at the lord's table every month churches like ours uh, we quote the words of jesus said this is the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me and i'll ask you nathan when it's a good question for everyone because this can become routine and, and mindless but what kind of effect does it have on you when we gather together and we, we hold up the cup of the, of the new covenant and we drink it, what, what is the benefit of doing that on a regular basis? Well, I would say the benefit is, is twofold. There's, I mean, and some, some might disagree with this to some degree, but uh, it, the fact of the matter is, is we're, we're reminding ourselves that the work of Christ is objective. It's outside of us. It is, uh, so it's not my perfect obedience that gains me access it's the body and blood of jesus that gains me access and and coming to the communion table reminds me that um that that it's that it's there it's there for me to to receive rather than for me to earn or do perfectly um in fact i think sometimes in baptist tradition we can sabotage this by emphasizing introspection so heavily during the communion meal mm-hmm. that we are not focused on the objective work of Jesus. We're focused on somehow our own worthiness to come to uh, the communion table. I, I'm going to misquote who it was. I think it might have been McShane. But uh, somebody was very troubled in their sin and was worried about coming to the communion table to receive the elements. and. And he said something like this, like, I lost it's for sinners. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you need this, and you need it regularly. And it it is unclear to what degree there is a spiritual benefit, but I believe it is more than simply an act that we do to remind ourselves we're actually, if we, if we partake in it wrongly, we're partaking in demons. If we take it rightly, we're partaking, we're partaking Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so it is important that we be at communion. Um, you know, different faith traditions in Christianity can emphasize this wrongly to the point where in Catholicism, all that really matters is that you take the elements mm-hmm. and it's so objective as to become meaningless. And then with like a 
I'm going to get a little technical here. When you, Zwingli taught that it was just a symbol, it was just a bare symbol, and so all it didn't really matter as much. Mm-hmm. As, as biblical Christians, we need to take it, remember the gospel. It is the, the most clear presentation you will hear of the gospel month by month. And, and in my favorite church experiences in my life, we did it week by week. And didn't lose its meaning, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a great objective Amen. opportunity for you to hear the gospel. Yeah, I think just as the, the preaching of the word of God is a dynamic experience, it changes us. Uh, it's not just words. I think the communion table, yes. as much as it's it's an obedience to God, it does change us. There's something powerful in it, just like preaching. It it is a sermon. Yeah, it's a sermon in yeah. word and deed. And it does for us what a sermon does. It feeds us. It encourages us. And I, I just think when when we remind ourselves that we press the reset button, it says, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is the way it is with me. Mm-hmm. I, I can't boast. I can't not forgive my brother. Um, I can't not rejoice because I'm a blessed person." And it's just it just reminds us of uh, the way things are for us, and we forget unless we are reminded. I love the song. Um, it was written by Edward Moat. I referred to this on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why we can't sing more songs that use biblical terminology. I know people say, well, we don't understand those words. Well, I didn't understand. All we have to do is explain them. I didn't understand any words when I was three well, <laughs> or, or two. But I learned words. So why do we stop learning words? So it's the solid rock. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. I mean, that's the confidence and joy of the person in the new covenant, that we are right with God, mm-hmm. it is well with our soul, that the coming of the Lord does not have to be a, a time of terror for us, but it's a time when we receive the full measure of our promise. Amen. I just want to remind you again, next time you come uh, before the Lord's table, which is going to be, is it this Sunday. coming it's Sunday? This, Sunday. Yeah. this is a perfect opportunity for you to remember this is for sinners. And so if you're burdened in sin, if you maybe are feeling like you're struggling with sin, come to the Lord's table and then afterward come to prayer. Come to the prayer altar. This perfect opportunity for you to to talk to someone, maybe even confess some things, receive prayer, yeah. and uh, and apply that objective truth. Because remember, Romans set, tells us that it's the kindness of God mm-hmm. that leads us to repentance. It's this radical acceptance that we see at the Lord's table that then drives us to uh, rightly acknowledge the body and blood of Jesus Christ and know what it really means. Mm-hmm. It's for you. Which, by the way, is why I don't tell people not to come to the table, not to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more, I'm saying to people, no, if you're a sinner, you need this. And in doing this, you are acknowledging Christ and his blood for you. So I would say for a sinner, let this be the occasion where you come under the blood of Christ, enter into the new covenant. And then, like you said, wouldn't it be great if at the prayer altar someone said, you know, today I received the cup and entered into the new covenant, and I just want people to know. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, Pray that this was a blessing to you today, 
and we'll be back visual next week. I'm going to try and plan something. If you listen to the end, By the way, I'm trying look, to plan you something. Really good today. Your hair is awesome. Then they're going to miss this. They're going to miss it. He likes it because I tucked in my shirt and I'm wearing a belt. But, uh, <laughs> but um, here's the opportunity. What I wanted to say to you is you totally messed up my, my mm -hmm. thank you. Goodbye. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.